If you're open to people and experiences and learning, I think this is one of the best areas of the world to do that. Thank you for downloading. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a weekly series looking at unfamiliar places across the world, an aspect of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, Ian Oliver, also known as the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture, and the whys behind travel itself. So join me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. and outro music is too long by the way i've been listening to a few pods lately and theirs is barely noticeable and when it is it's no more than maybe what 10 to 15 seconds i just like the tune i guess and when i was creating the intro and outro i wanted to fade it up and down at convenient points in the melody rather than just ending it halfway through a bar my musical minded friends might appreciate that more than anyone else i guess uh, though i don't know if my friend alistair even listens to this pod i should get him on here one day I used to go to school with him, but one of his life hacks to me when I was debating travelling some years back was, if you go to Uzbekistan and get invited to a wedding, never, under any circumstances, try to keep up with the locals' alcohol consumption. Which is quite a niche bit of uh, travel hack, I think. He's been to some interesting places. He's one of the few people I know who's actually gone to Yemen. He'll go back too, just, you know, not quite yet. So how are you all this month? It's now February. While my mother's favourite newspaper's Siberian weather apocalypse hasn't quite materialised yet in Nottinghamshire, it is quite chilly. We've got clear blue skies, sunshine, but a sharp wind that knocks about 10 degrees off the temperature. When obviously I'm still wearing sandals, for God's sake. It's me we're talking about here. This podcast, by the way, is a first for me. You know I like beer, obviously. Well, this is the first podcast I've recorded where I may, may mark you, be talking while under the influence of it. Mainly a beer called Bad Kitty from a Yorkshire brewery called Brass Castle. I'd love to say they were sponsoring me. Listener, they are not sponsoring me. God, could you imagine if I was sponsored by breweries? I'd be amazed if anything got recorded at all. Anyway, what have you been up to in the week since my last pod? Has it really only been a week? Feels like longer. Maybe it was longer. No, I've just checked my file, my Word document, and it's dated 28th of January. So I've for once maintained my promise and issued a pod a week after the previous one. I'm kind of vaguely impressed with myself. It might not last. Bear with me. Oh, what have I done? Oh, yeah, I did my first park run for about two and a half years on Saturday. I mentioned last week briefly that I'd failed to do one the previous week because I got lost getting there. This time I chose a different one, though not for that reason, and I had no problems. I'm sure most of you are aware of park run, but if you're not, in a nutshell, it's a concept that began in the UK some years ago, whereby people meet up in a park and go for a run. I mean, it's not exactly a name that required much thought, I'd imagine. Anyway, like all the simplest ideas, it's grown and there are no park runs across the world. In the UK, they take place on a Saturday morning about 9am. In Australia and New Zealand, there's a tendency for them to start at 8. I mean, really? And they involve 50 to 100 people running, jogging or simply walking around a designated 5 kilometre route. Usually in a local park, but some take place on promenades and beaches, through woodlands, basically anywhere they can legally and logistically route one. 
Now, when I was a teenager, I'd have been all over this. I was a cross-country runner at school, made it to district standard, albeit the very bottom of district standard. I didn't ever come last in a county race, but it was a close call. Uh, and not only would parkrun have been good training, but also most of the races the school had against other schools were on Saturday mornings anyway. But there wasn't. And I entered my 20s, never realising I'd ever willingly get up at Sparrow's Fart to haul my body round a park at speed again. So, the one I went to on Saturday was called Sheffield Castle Park Run. It's in the southeast suburbs of the city of Sheffield. I've been to Sheffield a lot, but I didn't know it had a castle. And you may be surprised to learn that it doesn't. Not anymore, at least. The site of it's now a market hall shopping centre. And even when it did exist, it lay about two to three kilometres away from where the park run takes place, in a park called Manorfields Park. There might be logic to the name of Sheffield Castle Park Run, but I don't know what it is. Anyway, it's a nice route. It's three laps of quite an open and expansive area of greenery in the city on a, let's just say it's an undulating, very smooth tarmac pathway. Sheffield, like many of the world's great cities, is built on seven hills. Any walking through the city will reveal this in no uncertain terms. Even so, and with jogging two to three kilometres from the city centre to get there, up one of those very hills, I still managed a respectable 27 and a half minutes, which made it my fastest park run. Though not that there's much competition for that. It's also apparently a pretty standard or expected time for a man of my age, but I don't know if that only means a man of my age who does park runs. I came away with sore calves and a huge blister under the ball of my left foot, but both of those are to be expected given it's been a while since I did any running of this intensity. Hopefully, both will have sorted themselves out by this coming Saturday, for my next one. I'd also had quite a heavy night drinking in pubs, oh, well, there we go, in Sheffield the previous evening, because, well, beer. I was up there in the first place because on Friday afternoon I was interviewed on the radio by BBC Radio Sheffield presenter Rony Robinson. It's part of a series called Bearing All he's doing as part of his daily show, talking to everyday people about their lives, sometimes quite deeply. It's available to listen again on the BBC Radio Sheffield website for probably the next three weeks following this pod's publication, if you're interested. I talk about my first kiss, about asexuality, a little bit about being bullied at school, so yeah, it goes pretty deep. What else? Oh, I had an email a couple of days ago from a... I don't know who they are, but they're a, uh, an organisation called Chartable Podcast Analytics that said, Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure is now ranked number 94 on the Apple Podcasts Places and Travel Chart in Great Britain. My first thought was, what? There are at least 93 other podcasts in Great Britain that cover places and travel? That many? Bloody hell. My second thought was, hmm, tallest daisy. One of many similar expressions often used in business circles around being the biggest of a group of very small operators, surrounded, of course, by far bigger, well, trees, if we're keeping to the metaphor. My third thought was, of course, ah, shit, people are actually listening to this. I'd better take it a bit more seriously. Like that'll ever happen. But I'm aiming to get it a bit more frequent, at least. Possibly, like my Instagram feed posts. But, you know, let's not push it too much. So, anyway, I like the word anyway. Only if you've noticed. Anyway. This is the second of a two-part pod on West Africa, mainly because I had a few long contributions from my tweeps about their experiences and adventures, so I wanted to give them their own space without editing them into oblivion. First up, from even longer ago than I was there, is Melanie from Postcards and Places. She studied in Ghana for a year, so experienced a slightly different lifestyle to the one I encountered. I was there about 15 years ago uh, for a study abroad experience in Ghana. And I chose it kind of by accident. I had originally planned on going to Australia, but too many other people wanted to go there, so it would only be a half year. And I really wanted to 
spend a full year somewhere to really immerse myself. So I kind of opened myself up and I said, well, where else can I go? Where else is there a program? I just needed to speak English. And this country came up that I'd never heard of before. And I thought, why not do something actually quite different? So I I went to Ghana instead, and uh, it was a really challenging year. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I, I look back at it fondly for sure, but it was a love hate relationship. I can't ignore that there were a lot of difficulties and challenges there too. First of all, part of it was my fault because I had heard of this thing called culture shock. And I wanted to know what that was like because I'm curious. And before that, I had traveled extensively around Canada and uh, the U.S. and spent 10 days total in Europe going through England, France, and Italy after high school graduation with some friends. So I hadn't had much travel experience, really. And so I, I leapt into this year in West Africa um, with not a whole lot of knowledge about what the region or, or what the country was like. And yeah, culture shock hit me real hard, real, real hard on that first day. And I have learned it's actually okay to do a bit of research beforehand. You're still going to be surprised, but not quite in such an extreme manner. Can we talk about hygiene for a minute? Because that was a real struggle for me throughout the whole year. I lived in the international hostel at the university. So it was basically uh, North American and European students and Nigerian students, the wealthy Nigerian students. So we had uh, what was the, the nicest residence in the hostel. We had uh, showers and we had flush toilets. We had the only flush toilets on campus, which was a huge deal because flush toilets were were not too common. I'm not sure what the status is now, but definitely 15 years ago, they, there weren't a whole lot of flush toilets in, in the city. And we knew, we knew where they're all located because if we found one, particularly one that had, uh, soap and toilet paper, you had to go and tell everyone else because we, you just needed to know where they were. So yeah, it was really nice to have them at, at our home. Uh, but, uh, to, be out in the city was a bit of a struggle because often just this uh, slab of concrete with a hole in it, or maybe not even a hole, maybe it was just a slab of concrete on an angle and you had to somehow make that work. So yeah, that was really rough for my body. Uh, but these open ditches along the side of the road were also a physical hazard because if you fell in and many, many people uh, fell into them, your leg would come out uh, just covered in this black goo. So it was a mix of uh, garbage, like physical garbage, but also uh, feces because they were used as toilets quite often. And you would see people on the street. People would stop mid-conversation to take a poo just in the ditch and be on their way, which still boggles my mind. One thing that was really fun about traveling around West Africa was... Uh, this whole lack of structure, this whole lack of uh, formality for anything. It, because for me, it meant endless possibilities. When my sister came to visit about halfway through my year there, I had this plan. I wanted to take her to all my favorite places around the country. And we only had a limited time to do it. I think it was just one week. And so I said, okay, we're, we're kind of on a tight schedule. And I haven't done this route before. But 
it's Ghana, so let's see if we can make it happen. And sure enough, we got to see all the, the places that I wanted just by asking people to make it happen for us because people are awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it's been really fun. It's totally different than traveling in other places like here in Europe where trains leave at a very particular time. And if you miss your train, you're out of luck or something like that. It's just, it's very rigid, which is also nice sometimes because you know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Uh, except for right now, because we seem to be in this endless, uh, strike here in France. So it's a bit of a wild card, but, uh, thank goodness I'm, I can be a bit flexible about it, but yeah, so it, it was always lots of fun and just seeing how you were going to get somewhere because you never knew if it was going to be a shared taxi, uh, a bus by yourself or, or someone who's going to give you a ride, uh, with friends. So it's not something I like to do, uh, alone. Kind of fun when you're, uh, in someone, the back of someone's van with about 12 people, uh, because apparently there's no buses that uh, will take you back to <laughs> your, your home. As university students, we sometimes tried to stretch the rules a little bit. Uh, because for us, it, it seemed like people were a little bit flexible with the law and we could, we could sort of use that to our advantage. So for example, when we went out for the evening, we often realized that we had too many people for a taxi and we were cheap. So we, we decided if we offered a little bit extra money, they would take us all in one car, uh, as opposed to getting two. And so we, we did this quite often. We would essentially bribe our way uh, into fitting too many people into a taxi. I didn't think too much about it uh, until one day we were stopped uh, by a police officer. And previously, we would we would just offer him money as well and, and be on our way or offer him money and then, and then get into two taxis finally and, and be on our way. But in this one particular time, uh, the police officer stopped us. And when we went through our usual speech about offering money, he, he said, uh, no, where do you think you are? We don't do that here. And on one hand, we could say, well, we've been doing this for months. And, and yes, it, it does happen here. We actually just sat there in stunned silence. And we sort of realized what we were doing, that we were participating in this bribe scheme. And that was our choice. We were we were letting it happen. Not only we were letting it happen, we were doing it. So, yeah, I I won't forget that. I'm happy to report that the hygiene issues have improved somewhat since her visit. As I mentioned last time, I saw a lot of public information posters extolling the virtues of cleanliness, which is, as you may remember of course, next to godliness. And I saw no evidence of those sorts of practices. In Ghana anyway. I have to admit I did see quite a bit of it in Togo. Next up we have David from Plane Ticket Away, who had quite an adventure across the whole of West Africa, having driven to Katuno all the way from Herefordshire in the UK. He talks mainly about his favourite country, one I have yet to visit, though I'm planning on going there this time next year with my friend Inga, Guinea, also known as Guinea Conakry, to differentiate it from Guinea-Bissau next door. What was you doing on Christmas Day in 2017? Well, for me, we were doing last-minute preparations for driving to Benin in West Africa. We were planning on driving an old beat-up car and then giving it away to a charity in Comptonu. We hadn't found a charity yet, but we were convinced we would find one whilst we were there. So we drove from Hereford in UK 
through France and Spain, and then caught a ferry to Morocco. We drove through Morocco and into Mauritania, and then into Senegal and the Gambia. In the Gambia, we spent a few days recuperating before we continued on our journey south. We drove through Guinea-Bissau and then Guinea-Conorakry and then Sierra Leone back into Guinea-Conorakry before entering Côte d'Ivoire. From Côte d'Ivoire we drove to Ghana and then Togo and then finally to Contenu in Benin. We did find a charity in Benin. Uh, it was a Roman Catholic charity that works with underprivileged children and they try and help street children in that area to do some and get them off the streets uh, and into education. We had been to Morocco before, and every time we've been to Morocco, we always have a fantastic time. It's one of our favourite countries in the entire world. But what most people would associate with Africa is Sub-Sahara Africa. And whilst we'd been to East Africa, we hadn't been to West Africa before. So out of all those countries we went through, our favourite country was probably... Guinea Conorakry. It was such a surprising country, beautiful country, um, amazing people. It's probably one of the poorest countries we've been to, but the people there were so generous and so helpful. There are a few examples of the generosity of the people from Guinea Conorakry. Um, one of them was after a long, long day, our longest day driving from Sierra Leone, crossing a border into Guinea Conorakry. We crossed over into the border just before dusk and the police there were advising us to stay at the compound and leave the next morning. But we really wanted just to get to a hotel in the nearest town and we knew it wasn't that far away. So we decided to continue to drive on. The road we drove on was some of the hardest driving we had done whilst in Africa. So the road could not be described as a road. It could only be described as a goat track. We had been driving since 7am in the morning and not eaten very much, only some coffee and a few bananas to keep us going. And we came across this road and in the pitch black, trying to navigate in a totally unsuitable two-wheel drive car, your family, normal family estate car. To drive along this road, we had to stop and then get out and walk the route that we were going to take for the next 50 metres before then getting back in the car and then driving those 50 metres. Now, we did get stuck a few times. And if you can imagine the uh, Italian job film, where the, at the ending, the bus is hanging over the edge of the Italian Alps, precarious with the gold hanging half off the, off the mountainside, and the rest of the people were at the other end of the bus. It's quite similar to how we felt in our car, as we had a precarious position with a car finally balanced, but not getting any grip on the road. 10 o'clock at night, uh, we were stuck, firmly stuck, and we were contemplating building our own little bridge of uh, stones and wood in order to get us out and get moving along the road again. Suddenly, a minibus full of people all turned up, and they obviously wanted to get along the road, but we were blocking the road. So in order to help themselves, they all got out quite silently, without a word being said, helped push us off this at this situation we'd got ourselves into. They wouldn't accept any kind of thanks or payment from us or at all. And they just silently got back in the minibus and went on their merry way. And we allowed them to pass through because they were driving it a lot faster than what we were driving at. 
This is just one example of the generosity of the Guinean people. Uh, and one of the reasons why we love the country so much. While I was typing up my posts on West Africa at the end of last year, I noticed one of my other Twitter friends was in the region herself at the time, and I felt this was a perfect way to bring an update to my pod. Here's Dale from the Wandering North blog, who pretty much took a similar route to the one I took. Her experiences sound very similar to mine, and it seems we both have had the same feelings about the region. I've travelled solo in West Africa, Burkina Faso in 2015, and Ghana, Togo, Benin, and a little Côte d'Ivoire in December 2019, and I've loved both trips. I read a lot about travel in West Africa as being difficult and challenging and only for the most intrepid of travellers, and while I think that it might be a bit much for a first-time traveller, I don't find it that difficult. Particularly on this last trip in December 2019 to Ghana, Benin, and Togo, I was taken with how easy it all is. Provided you're comfortable with a certain lack of infrastructure and, well, comfort, all of your other needs are well provided for. At any time of the day or night, there are people out cooking food and selling juice, tea, water, peanuts, bananas, anything you could possibly need is available on the street for mere pennies. Transportation was maybe the thing I was worried about the most. How was I going to get from country to country and city to city when there's no railroad and few fixed bus schedules? But any time I wanted to go, all along the way... All I had to do was walk to the street, flag down a vehicle, and for less than a dollar, I was on my way to my next destination, on the back of a motorbike, or crowded into a car with five guys listening to traditional drum music and singing. People always stopped to pick me up, and I always felt safe. I had prepared myself for difficult border crossings. I was expecting delays and bribes, but it was all a breeze. A bit of paperwork and a bit of fielding of questions from the border guards about my lack of marital status, and I was on my way. There aren't a lot of particular must-see sites in West Africa, which makes it a terrific area to travel. Just put down your checklist and see what there is with few expectations. Most of my best experiences in West Africa have come without planning, whether it was running across hippos in a lake or spending the day with a family in a tiny village, visiting voodoo sacrifice areas, or just talking with local people. If you're open to people and experiences and learning, I think this is one of the best areas of the world to do that. And you can do it all without feeling like you're on a tourist trail. It just feels authentic whatever that means. The very best thing, in my opinion, about West Africa is the people. Unbelievably kind and generous. I have so many stories of people going out of their way to help me, with directions and crossing borders, getting taxis, sharing their food, connecting me with other people who could help me out, and at no point did anyone ask me for money. With one exception, I never felt like I was being ripped off or tricked. People just seemed genuinely happy that I was interested in their country, and they wanted to make my experience better. And they did. A few standouts for me. I love Burkina Faso, everything about it. Great hiking, architecture, culture, music. And how can you not want to visit a place called Ouagadougou? The slave forts in Ghana on the Cape Coast were deeply upsetting but important. I can't stop thinking about that experience. I loved the markets of Cotonou and the voodoo culture of Benin. Oh, and the floating village of Gonvier in Benin is just unlike anything else. It's this intensely colorful 300-year-old village built on the water and accessible only by canoe or small motorboat. It's magical. My only regret is not staying the night there. A few tips. Pack light because you are not going to fit a big suitcase on the back of a motorcycle. Take cash because if you're anything like me, your debit card will not work. And learn some French. You can get by without French, but you'll be missing out on a lot of interaction. I can't wait to go back. Next on my list, Molly and Mauritania. I'm waiting on one other contribution, which will hopefully be a few minutes long, but I've not received it yet. When I do, I'll read it and re-upload this episode to include it and let you know. It should, however, be very definitely worth waiting for. In the meantime, 
That's just about all for this episode. Next time we'll be discussing something completely different and much more accessible. Luggage and what you take with you on your trips. Until then, have a great week. And if you're feeling off colour, keep on getting better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. I'm pretty bad at that sort of thing myself, so I'll understand perfectly if you don't. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Kirkby and Asheville studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass, bonus, by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes of this podcast will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. Until next time, have a safe journey. Bye for now.